Good morning, St. Paul. I'm Peter Kelly from Coventry, Connecticut. Um, good morning. Good morning. Uh, so I'm not a professional speaker, but um, I, I am compelled to, to share a little bit of my story. Um, I've been a regular attendee here since um, August of 2019. And um, thank you, Pastor Ryan, for allowing me to speak here about how Jesus has worked in, in, my, in my life recently and um, his continued support and love for me as I continued down this journey of life. I uh, credit that peace with Jesus being there for me in the darkest of times. Um, here's a little bit about my story. On October 26th of 2014, I was terminated from a high-level corporate position for conduct unbecoming of a senior manager. Uh, my demons that led me to this unprofessional behavior came in the form of a bottle alcohol. I have suffered from alcohol abuse for many years. However, in 2014, it consumed my life to the point where my relationship with family, friends, co-workers, and most important, Jesus, was pushed to the back burner. I've always believed in Jesus, but during this period of alcohol abuse, my connection with him was from afar and very few conversations with him through prayer. I realized that on this date of October 26, 2014, I was swirling down the drain, deeply depressed, ashamed, sad, and hopeless. When I left the termination meeting, my initial thought was to escape this mess by drinking. And uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when I left the parking lot that day, I did not go to a package store and I did not go to a bar, which was an automatic. But I did ask God to help me. And I believe that uh, this was a first of a series of events where Jesus was working directly with me. I, I researched alcohol rehab centers on my phone and found one on the first try. That's him. It was the Rushford Institute in Middletown. The program was not inpatient, but more of an extensive, intensive outpatient program that met for half a day, five days a week for a month. Fortunately, the company that um, let me go provided several months of severance, so my financial worries were not there. Um, since then, I've attended uh, two additional 30-day inpatient rehab programs later. Um, but this program is what I needed that day. I, I could not be um, locked down at that moment. As I was driving to Middletown on this day, an overwhelming warmth of hope surrounded me. Uh, keep in mind that this is about two hours since my termination meeting, so our feelings were very raw. Um, it was a meeting that ended with me feeling I had hit rock bottom and my future was hopeless. As I was driving to middle, middle town, the sun with the rays spiking across the sky happened. 
At the same moment, a song on the radio came, in, came on. It was One Thing Remains by the group Passion. I'm not sure how that song came on the radio because I was not a Christian music radio listener. Um, but I, I must have turned it to a radio station that played Christian music. That song changed my life that day as I was driving to Middletown with a lot of fear and hopelessness. But I believe Jesus was speaking to me through this song when I needed to hear it the most. Uh, in fact, Pastor Ryan played it last week. Uh, that song, One Thing Remains. I was glued to the lyrics. The first um, stanza, I guess, Steve? Yep. Um, it goes like this. Higher than the mountains that I face. And the, the mountain that I faced that day was being um, hostage to alcohol. Stronger than the power of the grave. And that grave to me was hopelessness. I didn't know what my journey was going to be like. Constant through the trial and the change. And that change that happened on that day was termination. I was never terminated. I've always excelled in life, whether it be um, military or corporate world. But, as it says, one thing remains. Yes, one thing remains. Um, his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Jesus loves me and will help me through this unbelievable mess I got myself into. And that's what I was feeling as I was nearing Rushford Institute. I needed to hear and feel that Jesus, my Lord and Savior, was with me. I wept the rest of the way. When I got to Rushford, I was ready for the program to get better. I did not feel alone. The years after required work, a lot of work on my part, but the amazing thing that I learned from the horrible day is my reconnection to God. That reconnection has never wavered. He has provided me a life that is full of love and support. I've never forgiven myself. I have forgiven myself, and others have forgiven me. Finally, my faith blossomed to the point of me starting to read the Bible and going to church. However, it took many attempts of finding the right church. But I kept looking. My journey with Jesus took a significant and transformational turn when I drove by St. Paul's Church on the morning of August 4th, 2019. Jeff was outside greeting, uh, and the uh, St. Paul's Church signboard was placed near him. Is Jeff here today? That's it, right there. You the man. <laughs> Jeff was uh, outside, and he greeted me. This area, I raised my kids. I'm divorced now, but I did raise both my daughters uh, in Willington, so I was familiar with this uh, mill, and I had no idea there was a church upstairs. But I parked. Uh, Jeff greeted me, uh, and I w attended. Um, I love the fact that this church provides coffee. Um, yeah, so amen on that. And, and I also like the high tops and my ability to either stay in the back or come in the front. Uh, but over the last couple of years, I'm drifting with Doug, my friend, closer to the front. Um, I was greeted by so many people. Jim uh, was here. The name tags. Everything was 
perfect. Um, I felt at home, which I never felt like in a Roman Catholic church or even other churches around here that are not as rigid as the Roman Catholic church. Um, Pastor Ryan's sermon on this date was from the book of Daniel. I take notes every time. Of course, that one day I didn't take notes, which um, uh, I thought I actually came the following week, which I'm going to talk about. But um, I did go back and listen to uh, uh, Pastor Ryan's podcast, and it goes way back to then and, and farther. But the story focused on learning humility and to realize that God is in charge and it's okay to ask him for help and the help of others, whether it be through uh, rehab, um, AA, or church. I stayed focused on learning humility and to realize that God is in charge and it's okay to ask him for help. I had done... um, Uh, it, Pastor Ryan's sermon that day reaffirmed that all the work I had done since that fateful October day of 2014 to get better was done by the grace of God. I also remember the next Sunday the sermon presented by Steve Crosby the following week. And the sermon was titled Shouldering Sorrow, 1 Peter 139. Steve spoke of hope and faith. There was one part that I felt Steve was directly speaking to me. He spoke of how depression and anxiety hinders faith and joy. That sorrow can be a full-time job. I learned these five actions, and I'm a, I love action plans. It's the corporate in me, but I, I love the bullet lists, the lists that Pastor Ryan does often. But Steve did the same. Uh, this action plan uh, that I could take away and continue to build on my faith and love for Jesus and for my overall physical, mental, and emotional well-being. These applications for those living, for me, living with mental health conditions are the following. Medication therapy, self-help books that can lead us out of depression. I was uh, immersed in that. Medication therapy, self-help books. And to to hear that at church, uh, come on. I mean, that was, I feel Jesus was just telling me to continue working on yourself. The second one is continue to practice our faith in Jesus. Faith protects us. Three, hang out with the Psalms. Four, talk things out. Five, focus on being a friend, not a fixer. So in summary, I believe Jesus rescued me from myself on that day in October of 2014. My life of being dependent on alcohol is over. My work life is fixed and fruitful, and my dealing with people is more loving and not judgmental. My family, a daughter's ex-wife, love me and remain in my life uh, with Sue, my partner, constantly providing me love and support. I feel that Jesus truly saved me. That day was a rebirth for me. Jesus continues to have my back. I have no wants. I trust my life however long that may be in his hands. So on this Thanksgiving, I sing praises to God and his delivery of me to St. Paul's Church and Pastor Ryan and Keith. His love for me truly never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Thank you all and God bless. Good morning, everyone. Um, Good morning. Thank you. (laughs) 
Um, my name is Pamela Leggett, and I have been coming to this church for, I think, about four years now. Um, very glad to be here today. And I have two things that I wanted to share that has happened in this last year. Um, a year ago, my granddaughter, Luna, who's now eight years old, suffered two concussions, and it was all within one week. It seemed impossible that an injury that, like that could happen twice in such a short amount of time. Uh, concussions are a form of brain injury and have the potential of changing the way a person can think and learn, as well as sometimes some devastating health issues. Luna was having trouble with her balance, um, migraines every single day, and having any kind of activity at all. Anyone who knows this active little girl <laughs> knows that her life revolves around being in sports, riding her dirt bike, and pretty much living on a trampoline and jumping. Um, all those things had to stop in her life for quite a while, and in addition to being suddenly inactive, dealing with these very horrible migraines and learning issues that were just devastating for her and her well-being. They had to be special accommodations um, put in place at school to help with her learning issues. And um, she was attending uh, treatment at the Children's Hospital in um, Hartford uh, three times a week with specialists to help her be able to deal with everything she was going through. But it was very slow, the, the progress of everything she needed to do, kind of excruciatingly slow. Um, I've been blessed to be a, on the board here at St. Paul's for the past couple years. Um, it's my first time being on a board. And it's been um, really incredible to learn how a board works together and um, one of the things that, that we do is, is talk about things that are in our lives. Um, we say prayers at the end of our meetings for people that we know are in need, and we say prayers for each other. I had been sharing about Luna's condition since um, her, her concussion had happened, and she was on the prayer list here at the church for many months, you might remember. Um, but there was this one particular time that the doctors and my daughter and my son-in-law uh, and the family were really concerned. Nothing had progressed very much, um, seeming to regress and get worse. There were so many tests and there were not any conclusions. It was feeling very scary at, at some times, um, especially right then. Um, the particular night that everything was kind of coming to a head and things were getting really scary. Um, I shared, with that, shared about that with the board and that night every single person um, prayed for Luna. Usually we just kind of pray for one thing, but that night everybody prayed for Luna. A couple days later I mentioned it to my daughter that we had all prayed for her and she started to cry and said that the day after we had that prayer was the first day that Luna had a migraine-free migraine day. Um, that was pretty remarkable. 20 years ago, uh, when there was a crisis with my son, my brother called me and he said we needed to pray together for a resolution for my son. 
he explained to me that the power of people praying together, and not only does it bring encouragement and joy and the feeling of love among believers, but it shows togetherness and the body of Christ working together and submitting to the will of God. I had never heard that concept before, or I don't know, maybe I just hadn't had a point in my life where I had to hear about that. Um, but that really stuck with me, and on many occasions, and especially this one with Luna, I've seen amazing results that praying, praying together can bring. Um, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 19 and 20, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or, more, two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was my journey this past year. Um, and one part of it that is just particularly amazing to me. I'd like to share um, what it has been like for me as a small business owner during the shutdown and COVID. Um, so my business uh, completely shut down on, I think it was March 13th. All of my business uh, speaking tours got canceled. And as the owner of a small business, and this being my sole place of income, I was really scared. On top of that, I had COVID very early on, and uh, like right after the shutdown. And I was really sick for about three weeks. And I felt really... It was just like, every, my business is gone. I had nobody to be with. I was really sad and isolated and sick. And I must admit, pretty darn panicked. I was praying for guidance on how I could turn these things around and just accept what God had planned for my future. Three things happened that I still find to be quite remarkable. And I have to remind myself that once again, prayer from myself and my friends and my family and my church played an enormous role in getting me through this time. The first thing that happened was a week or so after the shutdown, people started making masks. And there was no elastic to be found to help make those masks. But elastic is one of the products that I sell in my design business. And I had a couple of emails from customers that said, hey, do you have any elastic? And I did. And so not only was I able to supply a much needed product, people making masks all over the country, but it was also enough income to pay for my business bills for two months. The next thing that happened was that the government forgiveness loans for help with small businesses like mine um, came about. And it was not fun filling out all those forms and being very anxious about what the outcome of that would be, but I did get some of that government money. It wasn't a lot of money, but amazingly enough, or maybe not, it was just exactly the right amount that I needed to keep my business going for another two months. I know that probably most people don't think of things that happen with the government as, uh, as being a part of God's plan, but that's how I saw it. I was so grateful for the gift of that money to get me through. And not having to pay it back was, you know, just something that I couldn't even imagine. 
happening to me. But the answered prayer that meant the most to me were the donations that people of this church made to the St. Paul's Crisis Fund that was set up to help people who were having trouble financially through the shutdown. As I was sitting on my, at my desk one morning trying to figure out which bill from my personal stuff was not going to get paid, and I was thinking, um, it's probably going to be my health insurance, um, I, got, I went and checked the mail, and there was a letter from St. Paul's and a check. And the check was, in the, was an amount that was just $5 more than what my health insurance cost. And I immediately broke into a sweat, started crying, and thought maybe I wasn't going to be able to breathe again, but I did. Um, and I just couldn't believe that that had happened, but I've never really had anything like that happen before. And my next thought was that I couldn't possibly accept the money, that somebody else must surely need more than me. I wrestled with this for so long that Pastor Keith finally had to call me and ask me if I had received the check. <laughs> because I just couldn't bring myself to even think about accepting it. But um, I did humble myself and accepted this wonderful and generous gift and the gifts that followed that paid my health insurance for a few more months. This gift meant so much to me and I am forever grateful to this church and the people in it for their generosity to help people in need. Finding this church has been a huge blessing in my life, and I'm so grateful to be here with all of you and to be on the board and just to be a part of it. Thank you. Hey everybody. Um, my name is Paul Danikos, for those of you who don't know me. Paul, do you want to uh, so, oh, the mask, I'm sorry. So used to wearing it. Um, I'd have to start out with a, just a very, very brief overview of my life. Um, it would only take one or two hours. Um, <laughs> as soon as I can get this thing to work correctly. Sorry about this. Okay. Um, I saw my first child psychologist when I was in first grade. I was hospitalized when I was 17 at Night Chalk Hospital. I was diagnosed as having depression. The next 40 years, my depression went without treatment. I couldn't find anyone to help me. Psychiatrists, therapists couldn't treat me as I had no insurance. No pastor of any church would help me. I had to either join the congregation or donate to the church. I stopped trying to get help. I sunk deeper and deeper into depression, and I started having suicidal thoughts. I was very angry with God, and I cursed him for not helping me. I isolated myself. I never got out of bed, only for doctor appointments, which was once every three months. I stayed in isolation for five years. I talked to nobody. I saw nobody. I'll even introduce you to nobody later on. <laughs> My legs became so weak I couldn't even stand on them at all. Unfortunately, I ended up doing permanent damage to my legs. I need a wheelchair to get around or this scooter. My wife prefers a scooter. She doesn't have to push that. I can only walk for a short distance now. 
Needless to say, I was a mess. Now, I had believed in Jesus my whole life. I had never had any doubts about his existence. But I thought he abandoned me at one of the worst times in my life. Why? How could he do this to me? I was severely depressed at this point. I was in an extremely dark place with no light. The suicide idea was getting stronger with each passing day. I even knew how I would do it. I had saved enough pain medication to do the job. 300 pills of Oxycontin, 60 milligrams each. The average dose is 40 to 80 milligrams. I had 18,000. Yeah, that'll do the trick quickly. After I couldn't find anyone to help me before, like I said, I had given up all hope. I resigned myself that God wasn't going to help me. But something told me to check for help one last time. I searched, I searched the internet and somehow I ended up at St. Paul's website. I was going to stop looking, but just as I was ready to leave the website, something told me to try again to get help. I emailed the pastor. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. I had never met him, nor had I attended church. I was not a member or even a guest at services. I didn't think I would get a response, but he did respond to me. I was expecting some form of rejection, but he wanted to and he offered me his help. His name is Ryan Nathaniel Spooner. We emailed back and forth for several months. Finally, I told him I needed help or I'd die by suicide. He did. I was in the emergency room on lockdown for nine days. 28 days in the psych ward, then a three-week stay at a rehab facility in Manchester to strengthen my legs. Two months in total. Pastor Ryan came to see me every week. He, he, oh, I'm sorry. Now, it was a long ride to Norwich from Wellington, but he did it every week the whole time I was there, without fail. After 20 days in, I had a chance to go outside, but I did not take that offer. I wanted the only time to be leave, that would go outside was when I was leaving. Well, as I was ready to leave, I was released and I was heading to the rehab facility in Manchester, but I had no way to get there. Transport was not available. I would have to wait for hours to get one. Guess who picked me up? He drove from Wellington to Norwich to Manchester. Three guesses who that was. I won't even count the first two. I finally realized that God was with me the whole time. He did not abandon me. He did answer my prayers. He guided me to Pastor Ryan. He helped me endure an extremely tough time in my life. He helped me through a painful three weeks of physical therapy. God continues to help me to this day. He will guide me and protect me as he always has, even though I did not believe he would. With his guidance and help, I will continue my journey. I have come a long way in a short time, but I still have a long ways to go. But I'm not worried. He has answered my prayers always, although not always in the way I expected or wanted. God is there for you also. You may not think so, but he is there for everyone. All you have to do is ask for his help. Sometimes you don't even need to ask. He will help you still. God bless you all. Thank you. One more testimony, Keith Anderson.
morning. morning. Happy Thanksgiving week. Not really sure how to follow those stories. They were really amazing. Thank you uh, all for sharing so far. A few years ago, I uh, preached a sermon here at St. Paul's about the joy and blessing we receive when we are obedient to the Lord. I shared a personal story as part of that sermon, and Pastor Ryan asked if I would share it again today as we share testimonies of how Jesus has worked in our lives. For a long time, I was really focused on figuring out the big picture of God's will for my life and how all of my decisions are connected to that. I was obsessed with figuring out exactly what I should be doing and how I should be doing it. What should my job be? Where should we be living? Who should I be hanging out with? Everything. And when things didn't go exactly the way I expected or prayed, I defaulted to, well, must just not have been God's will. Every Sunday for months, my connection card had written on the back, discovered God's will and follow it. I'm sure the prayer team was begging God to reveal his will to me just so I would write something new on my prayer card. <laughs> During this time of obsessing over God's will, Tracy and I were living in Manchester. We were living in a small house with two kids, a 90-pound yellow dog and a cat, and the walls just kind of began to close in on us more and more. I'm sure uh, this week, after having lots of guests at your house for Thanksgiving week, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. We weren't quite sure where we wanted to live yet, but we knew that we had to start the process of putting our house up for sale. Those of you who ever, have ever sold a home, you know it could be quite the ordeal. When you get a call from your realtor that someone wants to see your home, you immediately have to spring it to action. Dust, clean, wipe things down, straighten the pictures. You pick up toys and you make sure your place looks as appealing as possible. Now this was about 10 years ago, which is the, the, the real estate market was a lot different than it is today. Houses uh, are now selling before they even hit the market, but back then, you, it, was, it was really hard to sell your house. We were sell, selling right at the tail end of the time period that has now been defined as the Great Recession, which is considered one of the worst economic declines in U.S. history, and that was mainly because, caused by that mortgage crisis back then. So when our first house first hit the market, we got a few initial calls that people wanted to check it out, and the scrambling process began. With a two-year-old and a newborn baby, we tidied everything up. We shuffled our kids, the dog, everybody into the car. We parked around the corner, and we prayed that this would be the new family that moved into our home. Oftentimes, I'd be traveling for work with the UConn women's team, and this entire process fell solely on Tracy. But after his first few initial visits, the calls began to slow down. We found a new house that we thought we were destined for. But after a few weeks and then a few months, the owners didn't hold our offer any longer and they had to move on. We dropped our selling price a few thousand, which then turned into a few more thousand, which then led to tens of thousands. We found another house in a new town that we wanted to live in. Again, we put in an offer pending the sale of our house. And again, weeks turned into months and the owners had to sell to someone who was ready to move in right away. Isaiah 30:21 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the people of Israel being rebuked for their disobedience to the Lord. Time and time again, they would break their covenant with God. He would correct them, they would come back to him, and with love and grace, he would show mercy upon them. 
The Lord sent prophet after prophet to speak to his people and direct them back to the right path. Isaiah tells them in verse 20 that although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. The Lord promised to be with them, teach them, and guide them during these tough times. But when we hear his word, we must be willing to follow it. About a year into our house selling process, that's right, a year, <laughs> a year of making sure our house could be cleaned at a moment's notice, a year of polishing our stainless steel fridge with tears, <laughs> trying to keep our toddlers confined into another room and not have them mess up, and then scrambling to get everyone and the dog out, into, out of the house, a year of falling in and out of love with other houses and towns we wanted to move into, I began to hear God say to me, this is the way, walk in it. At the time, I smoked. And every once in a while, when I lit up a cigarette, I would hear this voice in my mind and my heart saying, if you want to sell your house, quit smoking. For those of you who have ever smoked cigarettes, you know this isn't, isn't too easy. I'd quit many times before, one time to even run a marathon. But after a while, I would continue to come back to the addiction. I would wrestle with this voice in my head and doubt that it was really God talking to me. After all, I was down to one or two a day, and thou shalt not smoke isn't a commandment. <laughs> However, the voice began to get louder and louder. And it wasn't just once in a while. It became every time I lit up a cigarette. Finally, after a few months of hearing, justifying, hearing, ignoring, I said, okay, what do I have to lose? While I was on the other side of the world, traveling with the U.S. Olympic team, I decided on July 20, 2012, that that's it. I was finally going to be done. Two days after quitting smoking, I was at a restaurant in Turkey, which I'll never forget, and Tracy called me to tell me that someone had put an offer in on our house. In total, the house was on the market for about 18 months, which was at least 17 months too long, if you ask Tracy. She wasn't too happy to find out that I had been hearing from God for a few months that if I quit smoking, we'd sell. But we're not going to get into that this morning. <laughs> Years later, after reflecting on that year and a half of waiting and questioning, Tracy and I realized just how many crossroads we faced and how many small decisions determined how far we had come. In the waiting, Tracy had started a new job in a healthy work environment. And we had rediscovered St. Paul's after a few-year hiatus. God brought brokenness into our marriage to light. And then he laid out the course to restoration. It was during this time that the Lord began to call me to a new career path. And we found our home. A home that we were told by our realtor was not right for us because it had an in-law suite. A suite that has now been filled with guests throughout the years, including an extended stay by my brother, who rehabbed in, in our home for over a year. And then years later, it became a bedroom for our children, as the Lord surprised us with a third child. If you haven't heard him yet, he's downstairs right now. <laughs> over that time period, we questioned over and over, are we following God's will? If this is his will, then why aren't we selling our house? I realize now that instead of obsessing over what God's will is, or was, I should have been more focused on who God is. A loving, patient, forgiving father who wants the very best for his children. Parents don't guide their children by just repeating their big picture purpose over and over again. They use the teachable moments to, to, to guide them and guide their small decisions all along the way, which is what God did exactly for us. 
During a time of adversity and confusion, he was with us the entire time, guiding us and leading us back to obedience to him. Sometimes God used the small whisper of the Holy Spirit to say, go this way. Sometimes he would use the voices of friends and family and our church community. And sometimes, like when I was smoking, it became this overriding voice. If you want to sell your house, then quit smoking. Go this way. If we would have sold our home in the first few days or weeks, I can't imagine what our lives would look like today. It'd certainly be much different. The process we went through was long and trying, but it taught Tracy and I that following his will meant obeying his voice of correction. Sometimes the correction's easy. Sometimes it's not. Wait, God, you expect us to forgive each other from that? Wait, God, you want us to give how much to that ministry? And now you want us to start tithing before taxes? You know how much we just lost on that house, right, Lord? Wait, God, you want me to stand off for my faith by saying what to that person? Inviting who to church? <laughs> Wait, God, you want me to leave my job after 10 years with all the perks that I get from it and do what? <laughs> I was reminded last week that when Pastor Ryan used me in one of his trivia questions that I've now been working at St. Paul's for seven years. For those of you who weren't around at that time, my job was only promised for one year. But after a few times of turning to the right or the left and hearing God say, this is the way, walk in it, you begin to no longer question the voice. You begin to appreciate the process. Even when in our human, earthly wisdom, everything inside of you says, there's no way this is going to work. See, the Lord, seeing the Lord work through your mess starts to even become a joy after a while. You lean into the adversity and you try to figure out, what's God trying to show me right now? I have one more part to my story. Soon after we moved into our new home, I learned that the late husband of the woman who sold it to us had passed away a few years before. He was a smoker and he died of lung cancer. I think before we moved into that new house, the Lord wanted me to make sure that my destiny would be a little bit different. I have no idea what's left next for me and my family, but I know that as long as we stay focused on who he is and continue to be led by him in the waiting, listening for him to say, this is the way, walk in it, everything's going to be okay. Thank you.